starting in verse 20, reading through verse 34. 1 Kings chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. It has everything that you and I need for life and godliness. It has no errors in the original languages in which it was given, and it remains to us in faithful translations, the authoritative word of God. Verse 20. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms, from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. And Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, a 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over everything west of the river, from Tifshah, even to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river. And he had peace on all sides around about him. So Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those deputies provided for King Solomon and all who came to King Solomon's table each in his month. They left nothing lacking. They also brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the place where it should be, each according to his charge. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men. Then Ethan, the Ezraite, Heman, Calcal, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, please bless our time. Please use this time to glorify yourself, to edify your people, to convert any souls that may not yet know Jesus savingly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, when I was a little uh, young boy and growing up uh, to become uh, a man eventually... Uh, my dad repeatedly uh, told me something 
And what he told me was, one of many things he told me, but this was, I heard this repeatedly, he said, Mark, it's terribly important that you be a man of your word. That you, uh, so when you, and he go on and say, when you promise you're going to do something, you had better do it. And I heard that from my dad regularly. It's biblical advice. We are, um, it's something that God requires you, children, and you adults, to do as well. To keep your word. To follow through on what you say you're going to do. When you promised that you were going to do something, like for example, children, if you promised to your mommy that you're going to pick up the yard, uh, your toys in the yard, or when you promised to do your homework, or when you promised to be somewhere, you better do that. God says that it's important to keep your word in a number, number of different places and ways in the Bible. I try to live by that rule to keep my word, but I do not always succeed in doing so. Just ask my wife and my children. Actually, don't. At any rate, I, I, I just, I'll, I'll just take my word for it. Sadly, I do not follow, always follow through on some of my promises the way I should. I say things, I essentially promise things to people, um, and I fail to follow through for whatever reason. And when I don't follow through, when I don't do what I said I was going to do, I'm sinning against God. And so are you. When you fail to do something that you say you're going to do, you're sinning against God. And I am not the only one who has trouble keeping my promises perfectly. All of us are promise breakers to some extent. All of us. And if you don't realize that, I promise you it's true. (laughs) Anyway, God always keeps his promises, unlike us, and he perfectly keeps his promises. God is, if you will, a God of his word. Amen, indeed. Now, God has made, in the pages of Scripture, numerous promises down through the centuries, down through the millennia, actually. He's made numerous promises to mankind. Clearly, the most important promises to those of us who are believers, who are trusting in Jesus alone to save us, the most important promises that God has made that are found in the Bible are those that are contained in the covenant of grace, the gracious covenant that God has made with us through Jesus, through our spiritual union with Jesus. This gracious covenant was uh, first announced in the Garden of Eden just after the fall, in that well-known verse to many of us, uh, Genesis 3.15. It's the first, it's called the first proclamation of the gospel, actually. The Proto-Evangelion. Um, and that means first proclamation of the gospel. Uh, it's cryptic, but it's there. Uh, it is a covenant, the covenant of grace is a covenant that God reiterated over and over again and expanded upon, if you will, fleshed out down through the centuries. The covenant of grace was uh, reiterated uh, to Noah. There are actually two Noahic covenants, by the way. Uh, there's a first one that was made with Noah and his family, uh, uh, that saved them in the ark, which was a type of Christ. And then there was the uh, covenant that was made with Noah and the creatures 
God made to Noah with Noah and all of the creation, which I take to be a separate covenant, although connected. Uh, so there's the Noahic covenant, which was an expansion of the uh, the initial promise in the garden. There's the Abrahamic covenant. There was then the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and finally the New Covenant. And all of those covenants that I mentioned, uh, I'm convinced, I'm going to give you a little proof here in just a moment, are just different administrations of the one gracious covenant uh, that, that was first announced in the garden, as I said in Genesis 3.15. I'll give you just a couple quick verses here before we get into our main points. But uh, the fact that the um, Abrahamic and the Noahic, co- excuse me, not the Noahic, the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant are parts, are gracious covenants, um, is evident in Psalm 105. Uh, you may or may not want to turn with me there. I'll read it here, but it's Psalm 105, verses 5 and following. And we see, I'll read it to you. 105, verse 5. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth, O seed of Abraham, seed being the descendants, O seed of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the God our Lord, the Lord our God, rather. His judgments are in all the earth. And he goes on. He has remembered his covenant, so he's speaking to the descendants of Abraham. He says, he has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, uh, his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel. There, I believe he's talking corporately as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only few in number, very few and strangers in it. And they wandered from about from nation to nation. So this is the the Israelites of old. They wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them and he, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones. And do my prophets no harm. And so Israel, under Moses, in the wilderness, uh, were benefiting from uh, the Abrahamic covenant that was given to Abraham. And so both of those covenants, in other words, were gracious administrations of the one covenant of grace. And the, uh, if you look at Luke chapter 1 with me, the same is true of the Davidic covenant, which is also... The Abrahamic covenant is mentioned here as well, but then the Davidic covenant is also seen to be uh, a gracious covenant. Luke 1, starting in verse 68, reading through verse 60, uh, excuse me, 75. And this is Zechariah speaking, filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Luke 1, verse 68, I'll let you get there. Here's what Zechariah said uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption. There's the graciousness uh, for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. There's a reference to the Davidic covenant or an allusion to the Davidic covenant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, 
And here's the quote from the Old Testament. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so there you see both the uh, allusion to the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Point is, there are gracious administrations of the one covenant of grace. That brings me to the two points we're going to focus in on the remainder of our time. First, we're going to look at the initial fulfillment of the covenant promises that God made to Abraham and to David. We're going to focus on those two covenants uh, uh, or administrations in the Old Testament. The initial fulfillment of that those covenant promises. And then, secondly, we're going to look at the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant promises made to Abraham and David as uh, through the lens of First uh, Kings chapter 4. So, first the initial fulfillment of those covenant promises made to Abraham and David. And those the initial fulfillment is seen in David's biological immediate son. That is to say in Solomon. Solomon is the is the initial fulfiller if you will and his kingdom of the covenant promises made to Abraham and David. So let's look at those covenant promises that were made to both either Abraham or David or both of them. So turn first to Genesis chapter 12. This is the first uh, rendering of or iteration of the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham. And we read there in verses 1 through 3 the following. And I'll comment on it right after I read it. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Four things are promised there in that, in that, uh, first expression of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, a great nation, I will make you a great nation, a great name, a great kingdom, and a great blessing. Those are the four things promised there. Now let's turn over to the second uh, uh, iteration of the Abrahamic covenant. It's found, or expression of it, it's found in Genesis 15, verse 18. I'm only going to read one verse here. But in verse 18 of chapter 15 in Genesis... On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. There in that promise, we see God giving to Abram's uh, descendants the land in which Abram was sojourning at that point in time, which was Canaan. It was called Canaan. Also, God said that he would not just give them the land of Canaan, but he would also give them the land from the river Egypt uh, to the Euphrates River. He mentions both, specifically. So that's another promise that is made to Abraham. Now if you turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 
we're going to look at promises here that are made to David. Because remember, we're looking at both Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant or promises, and the Davidic ones. First Chronicles chapter 22, starting in verse 6, reading through verse 10. And this chapter is, or this passage is looking back uh, at God's making of the covenant with David. So this is after David's time period, but it's looking back on when God made the covenant with David that he made with covenant uh, with David and back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where that's recorded. But this is reflecting back on that. So let me read, starting in verse 6, reading through verse 10. Then he called for his son Solomon. This is David, just before his death. Uh, Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I had intended to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. For his name shall be, and here it is, Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in those days. He shall build, Solomon, shall build a house for my name, and he shall be My son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So, what do we see here? God promising. First, he is promising, uh, he promised to David, when the covenant was originally given uh, to David uh, earlier in his life, a son who would sit on David's throne. Secondly, God promised that David's son would build a house for God's name. Uh, In in verse 10, we read of that. And then thirdly, uh, God said to Solomon that he would give him, uh, he would give him as in Solomon, David's son, he would give Solomon and Israel rest from all their enemies. That's in verse 9 of the passage I just read in First Chronicles 22. So that's what was promised to David. Well, the initial fulfillment of God's promises in both the Abrahamic and the Davidic expressions of the covenant of grace are described, turn with me now, to our text in 1 Kings chapter 4. This is our text, 1 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 20. So, and I'm not going to reread this passage, but I'm going to reference uh, uh, some of the verses here. So in verse 20, well actually I will read a few. In verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Here, this is, the, this is the fulfillment of, I will make a great nation of you, meaning with great numbers of people in that nation. This is the fulfillment of that, verse 20. Also in verse 21, we are told that uh, Abraham had acquired not just a great nation, but he had acquired through his descendants a great name. 
and a great kingdom. Verse 21, now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river, that's the Euphrates River it's referencing there, from uh, all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So Abraham, the, the promises made to Abraham are being fulfilled now in Solomon's reign and Solomon's kingdom and its greatness with its, with its uh, innumerable numbers of subjects under him. And then in verses 29 through 34, and I won't read that because it is longer, we see there Abraham acquires um, or be, had become a great blessing to others through his descendants. So all of those promises that were made to Abraham are getting their initial fulfillment described here in 1 Kings. But also, Abram's descendants uh, not only possessed the land of Canaan, yes, they did possess that land that was promised to Abraham, but they possessed, possessed more than that land. They also possessed the land from the river, what's called the River of Egypt, uh, which is a wadi that runs in the Sinai, I believe it is, um, as I recall, all the way to uh, the Euphrates River, which is way to the north and to the east of, if you look on a map, of Israel. A very large swath of what's called the Levant, uh, for those of you that are interested in that. Um, so Abraham's descendants now possessed all that land, if you will, under was under Solomon's uh, reign. David's son, Solomon, built a house, didn't he? He built the great house, the greatest of, of the temples, uh, uh, for God's name. It's described in, its building is described in 1 Kings chapter 5 through 7. We won't look at it because it's long. But there, Abraham's house is, uh, excuse me, uh, David's house is built. The house, rather, that David's son was going to build is actually built. And God had promised that to David. And God had also given Solomon and Israel rest from all their enemies. In 24, verse 24 of our passage, at the end of it, it says, And he, Solomon, had peace on all sides around about him. So there's the fulfillment of the rest promised that had been given to David uh, when he was a younger man. And we know, but we, here's the thing. So all these promises are fulfilled in some sense that were made in the covenant. Here. And yet, not. We know that this fulfillment described in 1 Kings chapter 4 is only an initial Fulfillment, a, I'm going to call it a proximate fulfillment uh, of the covenant promises that were made to David and to Abraham. <clears throat> Why do we know that? Two things. First of all, <coughs> God promised Abraham that his descendants would possess the land forever. You look at Genesis 13, verse 15, and Genesis 17, verse 8. We won't do it now. But it says forever, that they will have the land forever. But you, uh, those of you that know your Bibles know as well as I do that the land was taken away from the ten northern tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel, in 722 by the Assyrians. Took it away from them. And then it was taken away from the southern kingdom, Judah, 
and Benjamin uh, in 586 by the Babylonians. The Jews didn't own any of it. It was taken over by conquering forces. So something's wrong. Well, not really, but it, on a first glance, you go, wait a minute, the promise was forever, that they were going to have the Jews were going to have it forever, or Israel was going to have it forever. And also, even during Solomon's reign, it appears that the formal boundaries of his kingdom did not extend as far as the Euphrates River. His sphere of influence probably did, which is, but the formal boundaries of his kingdom didn't go all the way to the Euphrates River. So there's something else that needs to happen for full fulfillment of these promises, you see. Another thing, another way that we know that this is only an initial kind of shadowy fulfillment or proximate fulfillment of the covenant promises that God made to Abraham and David, because God's promises included the promise of perpetual life. Not only for Abraham and David and Solomon, but for their descendants as well. If you look at, uh, and I will look at that back in, uh, I mentioned it a moment ago, but Genesis 13, 15 reads, I'll start in verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which I which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. The implication is, you're going to live forever, That's why you are going to enjoy the land forever. See that? And yet, this element of eternal life is absent from, was not fulfilled for Solomon. He died. David died. Abraham died. Everybody's still dying. When this promise, when this text is written, you see. So there's something missing. There's a fulfillment that hasn't, isn't occurring. And so this leaves us with one of two options, okay? How do you deal with this? Promises are made, but not fully kept, or so it would seem. So two options. Either God was unable or unwilling to keep all of his promises that he made to Abraham and David and others as well. Or, there was a greater fulfillment of those covenant promises that God had made that had yet to take place. And since the first option, God was unwilling or unable to keep his promises, isn't really an option, or God isn't God. I hope you'll all agree with me about that. The uh, the only option we're left with is a greater fulfillment of God's promises lay in the future, from the standpoint of when this text was written. That brings me to the second point. So we've looked at the initial proximate fulfillment of the covenant promises made to Abraham and David. Now we look to the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant promises made to Abraham and David. The covenant promises that God made uh, to those folks, uh, those patriarchs, were ultimately of an eternal and spiritual nature. 
their, their fulfillment was ultimately of an eternal, spiritual, as opposed to a corporal, a corporal nature. Remember what Luke says about David? Turn with me over to Acts. And this is proof, by the way, of the point that the promises were ultimately of, of a eternal spiritual nature. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse, we're going to look at several verses, or passages, by the way, several more passages here before we're done. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 29. Remember, this is uh, Peter's Pentecost sermon. It's shortly after uh, uh, Jesus' ascension into heaven. And he says, uh, Peter does, starting in verse 29, reading through verse 31. Brethren, I am, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, so here we are, talking about David, that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he, that is David, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, of the Messiah, that, and here's a quote from the Old Testament from Psalm 16, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay, meaning the Messiah. David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. So, the promise that was made in Psalm 16, chapter 10, that David wrote, wasn't about David. David died. His flesh rotted in the ground. And became worm food. So, the promise was greater. It was beyond David. It was, it was about Jesus, you see, uh, that, was the, that the promise was ultimately about. Look with me also over at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that also points to the spiritual, eternal nature uh, uh, or heavenly nature of the promises uh, that were made to Abraham, David, and other patriarchs. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8, reading through verse 16, again, this is a passage that you hear me quote fairly regularly, or allude to fairly regularly, but it bears uh, repeating, being reminded of repeatedly. Starting in verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, a reference to Canaan. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he, Abraham, was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she conceived him uh, since she considered him faithful who had promised therefore also there was born of one man and him as good as dead uh, at that 
as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the sea shore. All these died in faith, without receiving the promises. But having seen them, and having welcomed them from a, from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country of Canaan, from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So you see, the promises that were made were not, were not earthly, ultimately. And yes, there was, a, there was an earthly fulfillment, approximate fulfillment. But that wasn't ultimately what the promises were about. It wasn't about Solomon. It wasn't about Canaan. It wasn't about large numbers of Israelites inhabiting the promised land. It wasn't about the wealth that Solomon acquired uh, for, for the nation under his rule. Ultimately, it wasn't about any of that. It was about Christ and his kingdom and his subjects. That's us and all believers down through the ages. So we must look beyond Solomon to David's greater son and to his kingdom for the ultimate fulfillment of God's various promises made in the covenant of grace in its various Old Testament expressions, whether it be Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic. The promises were ultimately made, those covenant promises that were made to the patriarchs were ultimately made, we are told by Paul, they were made to Jesus. Look with me over in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises, he's speaking here of the covenant promises that God had made in the Old Testament to the patriarchs. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, And then Paul says, he does not say, and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. So The the promises that were made to Abraham, he's making them to Abraham and to your seed, he's actually making them to Abraham and Christ. Jesus of Nazareth before he's ever born, 2,000 years before he's ever born, in fact. And ultimately, it's, it's made to Christ first and Abraham second. And here I'm going to quote from the, it's the only large catechism question that I, uh, I have memorized and you watch, I won't be able to, I won't be able to give it to you right now. Uh, but from the larger catechism question 31, it's worth memorizing. Uh, with whom is the, was the covenant of grace made? The covenant of grace is made with Christ as the second Adam and in him with the elect as his seed. You see that? We are tied to Christ. The covenant is made with between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in eternity, sometimes called the covenant of redemption. Uh, and it's made first with him, uh, and, and then it's made with us because we are spiritually united to Jesus as the second Adam. And so that is where uh, the promises are ultimately made to him and secondarily to us. So 
So by the second Adam's um, perfect obedience that we could never render ourselves, but through his perfect obedience in his life and in his unto death, Jesus merited, earned all the promised blessings uh, that God gave to Abraham and to David and to others like Isaac and Jacob and so on in all the various administrations of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament age. Jesus purchased all those all those promises, whether they were temporal, like the ones that Solomon acquired, or spiritual and heavenly, like the ones that all believers down through the ages uh, have acquired, including you and me. Jesus purchased them, and having earned those blessings, merited those blessings through his, his atoning work, our Savior then lavished upon those blessings that he purchased, those promised blessings, upon all of us. Those for whom he lived, died, and rose again, the elect the believing elect. Christ's reward for his obedience, so he obeyed the Father so that we would be blessed, and Christ's reward for his obedience is you and me. We are Christ's inheritance. He inherits us as his um, sheep, his people, his reward. I don't know about you, but that should that should kind of fry your brain a little bit. That I'm his reward for going through what he went through for me so that he could get me? That should if you if you think about that, it's extraordinary. Solomon built a physical so the blessings were purchased by Christ ultimately and, and given to Christ. Uh, uh, he, yeah, he purchased them. Solomon, he built a physical temple. It was grand. Christ, on the other hand, is building a living spiritual temple of which the physical one that Solomon built was merely a shadow And you and I are the building blocks in that spiritual temple. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through uh, 22. I won't read it. I've read it too many times before. Because I love it. Because we're the temple. Now, Jesus is ultimately the temple, but we're the temple, again, in him, through our union with him. We, too, are the temple. Solomon's rule. Solomon's rule extended over a piece of real estate in the Mediterranean, in the, in the Eastern Mediterranean, the Middle East. It was a pretty large swath of land. But it was limited. Christ's rule extends over the entire universe. Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 2, uh, that great uh, ducks doxology that uh, we read there in 2 verses 9 through 11. I won't bother to read it right now, but I'd encourage you to read it later. So Christ, that, that, that expansive rule that Solomon had was merely a drop in the bucket compared to Christ's rule, which was far greater. Solomon's temple, pretty, nice, impressive, nothing compared to the, the temple of all the elect down through the ages. Uh, the blessings given to Solomon, lots of horses, lots of money, 
Lots of people coming to him, some, some good wisdom that he had. Great, all good. Nothing compared to the true, uh, the true Solomon, the true son of David. God's promises in the covenant of grace were only fulfilled in a provisional, shadowy sense in the reign and life of King Solomon. And it was only in the resurrected life and messianic reign of the King of Kings that those promises made to the patriarchs found their ultimate expression. Jesus is reigning now. We're not waiting for him to reign. He is reigning now. These promises have been fulfilled. Fully fulfilled in Christ. How do you and I respond to this? these truths? A few things come to mind in closing. The fact that Jesus purchased the, uh, the, all the promises uh, that, and uh, brought them to fruition that were made to David and, and, uh, and Abraham and the others. First of all, you and I should respond with enormous gratitude. Remember I said we are his inheritance. We are his prize, which is just crazy and yet true. You and I should give lifelong, indeed eternal, thanks for that. We should also be filled with fervent worship. This shouldn't be a drudgery coming here. It doesn't matter what I say, uh, it's not about the sermon. It's not about the minister. It's about worshiping God. And so things that are inconvenient, children that aren't as quiet as you'd like them to be when you're trying to concentrate, uh, you know, the temperature's not quite right in the room, um, didn't get quite enough sleep last night, you know, I don't like that hymn. <laughs> That's you, you just got to get over those things. And remember, that's not what it's about. It's about Him. And you should be try to give Him your very best. And that involves preparation for this day, by the way. Remembering the Sabbath day so you don't desecrate it by your thoughts or your words or your activities. And then finally, the third thing that I would suggest in, as a, by way of response is that you renew your dependence upon, your conscious thinking it through again. I am only dependent upon, for all my well-being, on the finished work of Jesus. He's the only source of God's grace to me. He's everything to me. And live that way. Think about that whenever you get a chance. And rejoice. If you're here today or if you're listening to me uh, remotely, if you have never understood that you're a sinner deserving of God's eternal wrath, and you are, I am, all of us are, if you've not understood that, if you've never grasped how rebellious you have been against God all your life and how much He hates your rebellion, and if you've not understood that you are going to go to hell unless Jesus alone saves you. And he's the only way that you're going to be for, uh, re- rescued from God's wrath, his justice. If you never understood that, you just heard it just now. And you need to respond the only way that it's 
an, an, a wise person would, and that is you need to bow the knee to Jesus. And you need to trust in him to save you from God's wrath, from the penalty that your sins deserve, and you need to embrace him as your master and Lord, the Lord of your life. That's what he is. He is Lord. And those who know him at all know him not just as Savior, but as Lord. That means you're going to have to give up your sinful ways, start fighting against sin in your life. You're going to have to work on not not lying anymore, work on not lusting anymore, work on not um, uh, being lazy anymore, being a gossip anymore, work on getting to church, work on reading your Bible, work on witnessing, telling others about Jesus. Yeah, it means all that. But it's God will greatly bless your obedience to him in all those ways if you bow the knee to Christ and you will spend eternity in indescribable glory and bliss uh, when you go when you leave this world rather than getting what you deserve, but only if you trust in Christ alone. May God give you the grace to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for oh how we thank you that Solomon wasn't the Messiah. Because, of course, we would all be uh, heading for eternal damnation if he were. Because he was a very imperfect man. We thank you that um, that the uh, blessings uh, that Jesus purchased aren't li- limited to real estate in the Middle East. To sand and rock in the Middle East. We thank you that... Um, um, the life is not just an abundant life here on earth that Jesus purchased for us, but it's eternal life in the bliss of your presence in heaven forevermore. Thank you, Jesus, that you would want us, that we are your reward, and you wanted us. You wanted a people for yourself. And thus you endured what you endured because you wanted us. Thank you so much. If anybody here, Lord, doesn't know you savingly, Jesus, would you please make them? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.